Welcome back to another episode of Truth From The Heart with Travis Sullivan. Today's episode is going to be about what biblical marriage looks like. I think there's a misconception and many don't hold marriage up in the high esteem that we should, but I think it's important to look at what God's Word says about this sacred institution that we call marriage. And again, I hope by the end of this that your idea of marriage will change. If you don't see marriage as a biblical concept, I hope by the end of this that you will. But the most important thing is that I hope you will read God's Word. I'll give you several scriptures that you can take a look at. And if you are married, I encourage you to take a look at the scriptures that I'm going to give you if you have not already. And I really think that God's Word guides us in this field of marriage. So let's get started. And right off the bat, I'm going to talk about a controversial topic, but it's one that has affected marriage as well as several parts of our society, and that is the issue of gender. So let's get this clear right off the bat, because again, God makes this very clear in his word. There are only two genders. That's it. Male and female. Those are the only two genders there are. And you may say, well, uh, y- you know, uh, isn't it based on how you feel? Or, well, what if I feel this way? It doesn't make any difference. God said from the beginning that there are just two genders. And let's head to the very first book of the Bible. God gets this off the plate right off the bat. The very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, 27, mentions that there are just two genders. And this is how God designed it. This is the way that it is. It doesn't matter, again, how you you feel, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, it's just the truth. Genesis 1:27, and I read from the English Standard Version. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It does not say however you feel, or he created all different types of genders. He created two, male and female. We are created in his image. God does not make a mistake. And I feel for those who believe that, you know, they may have been born a boy, but they feel like a girl or they or vice versa. No, that is a thought and and the mindset that comes straight from the pit of hell. You are not a mistake. God does not make mistakes. You were born a boy or you were born a girl for a reason. And God has got a purpose for your life. So stop believing the lie that you can be whatever gender that you feel like or, uh, you know, oh, well, it's okay. God made a mistake. He did not make a mistake. We are created in his own image. Something that we have got to stop doing as well, and that is calling gay relationships marriage. They're not marriages, they're relationships. God intended marriage to be between one man and one wife. That is how he intended it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. That's the way that it is. Again, it says that in his word. And did you know that this concept of husband and wife or the relationship of husband and wife is also mentioned very early on in the Bible? In Genesis 2.24, it's the first mention of the relationship of a wife. Let me, again, take us there. That's Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Again, that is the first mention of the relationship of a wife. And I also want to take a look at this verse, and it says, He shall leave his father and mother 
and hold fast to his wife. It does not say hold fast to his girlfriend. It does not say live with somebody and, well, they're like my wife. No, it says hold fast to his wife. Again, marriage is a sacred institution in God's word. And again, I love this verse where it says a man shall leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife. And here's another interesting part or a very important part, and that is they shall become one flesh. When you get married, you become one. It is a marriage. It's a 50-50 partnership. It's a beautiful relationship. I also want to take a look at the first mention of the the relationship of a husband, and it's in Genesis 3, 6. So again, God talked about gender and got the gender issue out of the way right off the bat in Genesis 1. The first mention of the relationship of a wife is in Genesis 2. Now we're in Genesis 3, chapter 6. And again, this is the first mention of the relationship of a husband. So when the woman, it's talking about Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Again, that is the first mention of husband. So this idea of only two genders, of husband and wife, of marriage, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Marriage is a sacred institution. And here's one of the reasons why I believe that it is. And that is because, I don't know if you know, maybe many of you do, but the church is called the bride of Christ several times throughout his word. Let's take a look all the way at the very end. So I know we're in Genesis. So now you're going to have to flip all the way over to the end, almost to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21.9. Again, Revelation 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. If you are part of the church, we are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of the lamb who was slain for us. Another mention about the church being the bride of Christ is in Isaiah 54, five for your maker is your husband The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Again, that was Isaiah 54, 5. So the church is called the bride of Christ. And I think that's why God made the institute or created the institute of marriage was because again, the church is to be the bride of Christ. He wanted to have us to have that relationship and be able to experience that relationship with somebody else like the church will with Jesus when we are finally raptured. And when we go to the marriage supper of the lamb and the Jesus is reunited with his bride the church. Marriage is such a sacred institution. You're going to hear me say that over and over throughout this podcast, because again, it's something that I think we have gotten away from. We just, it's almost second nature. We just believe, well, you know, God wants us to be in a relationship and we don't have to get married. We can just live how we want. And that is not the case. I think God has made it very clear that, that marriage is something that is very important to him. Now for the married couples, I want to lead you to a passage. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but if you have never read a Ephesians 5, 
22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. This is for husbands and wives. It is a beautiful passage that you should read. And also it's about the relationship between Christ and the church. So again, I just talked about the church being the bride of Christ. That is a great passage that talks about that as well. So again, that's Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And as I mentioned before, God designed marriage, and that's why I think it's under attack by Satan. He knows that God created the institute of marriage, and that's why he wants to destroy it. He tries to destroy anything that God creates and recreates something that is completely opposite of what the Bible says. And that's why I said it's not gay marriage. They're gay relationships. He wants us to call it gay marriage because he wants people to believe, well, that's what marriage is. You know, that's what you're supposed to do if you love somebody is get married. You're supposed to do it based on what God has in his word, not how you feel or not what you think is right, but what God says is right. One of the sad things about marriages these days is they just don't seem to last. I know Hollywood has always had sort of that stigma of marriages that don't last, but it's also creeped into the church. And I have been so blessed to be around so many folks that have been married for such a long time. We've got some dear friends at church who are about to celebrate. Actually, they've already had their 50th wedding anniversary, but we're going to have a party for them on Sunday. And what a great milestone that is to be celebrating. And then both sets of my grandparents were married for uh, 40 plus years. My mom's parents were married for about 42 years. My dad's parents were actually married for 55 years before my grandfather passed away. And then my mom and dad have been married for 42 years here in 2023. So again, I come from a family of long-lasting marriages, and I think that is because many in my family understood that marriage is a sacred institution. And I feel that those that are really under the age of 40, maybe you could stretch that up to 50, just don't have that same mindset. And that's why a lot of the marriages don't seem to last so long. I was watching a video not too long ago about Duck Dynasty, and the matriarch and patriarch of the Robertson family are Miss Kay and Phil. And I believe it was Miss Kay and they were talking about their marriage and, you know, they had some bumps at the beginning, but it lasted. And she said, I think that marriage should be one man, one wife for life. I love that because how true is that? And I think, again, God's word is very clear that that's how it's meant to be as well. One man, one wife for life. Another great passage that talks about marriage is 1 Corinthians 7. And again, for time's sake, I am not going to read the entire passage, but I will analyze what each passage talks about. And the title of the first part of the passage is Principles of Marriage, and it's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 9. And it says that each man should have his own wife. So again, that's a great reminder to not sleep around. And again, that seems to be very prevalent in today's society as well. Not that it wasn't something that happened in the days of the Bible as well. It did, but I think it seems to be something that's more prevalent now. It also gives the indication, as I've already mentioned, that marriage is a partnership or how two should become one. And again, you've got to work together and be together and that is how the marriage is going to work. And it also talks about how a wife's body belongs to the husband and vice versa. Now, it doesn't condone abuse, but again, it's just a beautiful picture of how the marriage relationship should work. So I encourage you to read that passage. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. 
here's something that, again, I think people get away from, and that is marriage is to be a covenant, and a covenant is much more powerful than a promise. God made a covenant with Abraham. In the Bible, he has made a covenant with us as his people. If we come to know Christ, we will be the bride of the lamb, and we eventually will have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. So again, that is a covenant that God has made with us. It's covenant love, not promised love. Because again, you can break your promises, but we are not supposed to break our covenant. And again, that is why I believe the church is called the bride of Christ. He didn't use that term for any reason. I think he used it because, again, marriage is such a sacred institution. Going back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. It's a message to the unmarried and to the widows. And Paul urges believers to remain single, but says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And there are some who can't handle not being with someone else or being married. They have to have that in their lives. God has given us each unique gift. Some of us can live by themselves and God can fill that relationship gap. Others, I I think, feel like they have to have somebody else in their lives to make them complete. And again, there are some that can handle having a relationship with God and having a relationship with a spouse and uh, everything works. They have great relationships with both, but it's not for everybody. So I, I found it very interesting that Paul urges believers to remain single in verses eight and nine. And uh, that's not to say that those who are single are better. It's just, again, we have a different calling than others. And then there's a passage about divorce. And this is in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 16. So the next set of verses talks about divorce. And here's the thing. Divorce is not an option, or at least it shouldn't be an option, in a marriage between two believers. If you've got one believer and one non-believer, or if you've got both non-believers, then again, divorce may come up. But I don't think it should be an option between a marriage of two believers. And that's why, again, I think in my family, that's been the case. Is And again, it's not to toot my own horn. It's not to say my family's better than any other family. But again, I think that my family sees the value in marriage. And those that have been married for a long time, I think would tell you that, yes, it takes a lot of work, but they do see that value in marriage and that divorce is not an option. And something else that's interesting in the second half of that passage, again, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 16, is Paul makes it clear that he believes, and he, he makes it very clear, he says, I am telling you this, not God. Now, the reason I find this interesting is because Paul makes it very clear that I guess this is his opinion, but again, God allowed it to be in his word, so it's important. And Paul makes it clear that Christians or the Christian in the marriage should not and cannot initiate the divorce. I'll talk a little bit about that in just a few moments, but again, I think that's very important that if you are a Christian and you hold to the the truth of the Bible, divorce should not be an option in your marriage. Now, again, that is not to say that if, if you are, look, if you're in a dangerous situation, so if you're being abused physically, if you are being abused mentally or verbally, then yes, I think you should get out of the marriage. But if you are a Christian, I think you should separate, but you should not initiate the divorce. And again, you may not like that, but I'm telling you that that's what God's word says, is that we as Christians are supposed to set the standard and we are not to initiate the divorce. But I'm not condoning, again, especially with the physical 
physical abuse. If you're in a, a, a marriage where you are being physically abused, then by all means, get out. And I, I know some would say, well, I, I thought he was saved. Well, again, I, I think you can really tell by somebody. And this is why it's so important. And I'll talk about dating in the next podcast. But uh, that's why I think it's so important. We can't just rush into things. We've got to take our time and really get to know somebody. And some people are great at it. Some people are are very good at, at hiding what they believe. But I think it, that it's important uh, that we really examine someone's heart. And an example of this not initiating the divorce, one of the examples that I came up with that I think many of you may know, and that's Dr. Charles Stanley. And maybe some of you didn't even know that he was divorced. He is. He was married to his wife, Anna, for almost 45 years. And they separated for a while. She initiated the divorce in the 90s, and then they reconciled, and then she came back and finally got a final divorce decree in 2000. Now, he was ready to step down and not be the pastor at First Baptist Church Atlanta, where he had been for a very long time. He ended up being the pastor for 50 years, because again, divorce is not biblical. And we lost Dr. Charles Stanley earlier this year, and I don't want to, don't want to, you know, badmouth anybody. But again, my inclination of that is that his wife was not saved because again, divorce should not be an option between two Christians. It just shouldn't be. God knows every situation, and I think He would be all right with the separation. So if you're going through something right now and you need to get out of that marriage, then by all means do it. And it also says later on in that passage that if the non-Christian initiates the divorce, then so be it. And then you can be at peace. Kay Arthur, who's also, again, well-known in the Christian industry, she had this to say about divorce. And again, I think this is two good statements about divorce, and that is divorce distorts God's eternal commitment to us. Again, he is not going to divorce the church. If we are the church, we are the bride of Christ. That is sealed for all time. Now, again, we have not gone to the marriage feast yet, but we are going to. So again, divorce is, is not part of God's plan for marriage. It's marriage is supposed to be a reflection of our marriage to Christ and how that relationship is supposed to look. There's also a message to the singles and the widows in 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40. Paul encourages us to remain single or as we are. He also brings up some good points that those that are married deal with worldly issues. And it also talks about the effect of our relationship with God compared to those who are married. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it is hard to have a balance between two relationships. It's hard to balance your relationship with God and with your spouse. And I think that was actually part of the reason why Dr. Stanley said the divorce happened. He was too focused on his ministry rather than his marriage. And again, not everyone is called to be married. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so I think if it's his will for us to get married and he knows that we can balance both of those relationships, then he will. God is a jealous God and he doesn't want anyone to come between us and him. And many who get married focus on their spouse or their kids or the relationship or the responsibilities that come with a marriage. And he knows, again, us better than ourselves. And you may think, well, I don't know that you should call God a jealous God. He calls himself a jealous God. In Exodus 34, 14, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Again, he loves us more than we could ever imagine. He doesn't want anyone to come between us and him. 
One of my goals was to keep each episode under 20 minutes, and we are coming up to that mark right now. And this one may be a little bit over, but I had a lot to cover today. The takeaway from today is marriage is a biblical concept. So many don't see it that way. God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. And marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. And again, the passages that I hope you will read are 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 if you are married and let God's word speak to you. And I hope today's message helped you realize how much value that God puts in the Institute of Marriage. Let's have a quick prayer. Lord, I want to pray for those who are married today. And I pray for those that are in a godly marriage, that you would continue to bless their marriage. I pray for those who are about to take that big step in their lives and and that are about to get married. And I pray that you would guide them through that big step and they would see marriage for the value that it has. And finally, I pray that eyes would be opened to what biblical marriage is supposed to look like. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for your word. And thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Truth From the Heart with Travis Sullivan. Remember, Jesus is King, Maranatha, and God bless. Until next time.